Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine coming! We have another special announcement. You swooped in and bought all of the tickets to the Gramercy Theater Show. That show is sold out. Sold out. Bye-bye. So, we have a second live show in New York City in case you miss your chance at tickets. That's right. We've added a second show. It's going to be at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York on Sunday, July 9th. That happens to be my mom's birthday. Ooh, she fun. will not be in attendance, but oh, at least I have will, an just for me. She's got better things to do. She's got better <laughs> things to, you, to do, but you don't. So you should be at the Bell House on Sunday, July 9th with us. The show starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Get your tickets now at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Once again, tickets are going really quick, so get yours today. Don't hesitate. It will definitely sell out. We love the Bell House. We're so excited. We will see you on July 9th in Brooklyn. See you then. You are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, golly gee willikers. It's so yeah. early. It's very, we're very low energy high because energy. it's 9 a.m. Six in the morning. No. Well, it's almost 10, but right. yeah. my in-laws are here and I was like, I have to record tomorrow first thing. And they were like, oh, what time is first thing? And I go, 10. They live on a farm. For them, yeah. first thing is like actually daybreak. I this feels like daybreak to going me. on in the morning. I have yeah. to get my baby up. I have to pump. I have to poop. I have to eat. I have to have coffee. I've got to change her diaper. She's got to eat. Mm. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot Who are we? Fucking I'm Kenyan. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get right into it. Let's just do it. Let's just fucking rip this Band-Aid off. We have a very special fan pick brought to us by Brienne Mangold. Mangold? Mangled? I'm feeling a bit mangled this morning. (laughs) Really mangled. (laughs) Mangold? I don't know. Brienne. Brienne has selected the topic of medical mistrust, mm-hmm. which is a super important topic. We've obviously done like naughty nurses and like angels of death malpractice and before, and, and yeah. yeah. But I went more in the like medical experimentation direction. Mm-hmm. Did you as well? Yeah. yeah. So, so like a systemic, not just bad individuals. Right. Yes. Yes. Where the system fails. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brianne also said that, you know, they didn't, they wanted us to try to focus on victims of color, which mm-hmm. we're very, very happy to do. Also to avoid the Tuskegee mm-hmm. case because, well, incredibly important and understudied broadly, mm-hmm. it has been covered by a lot of podcasts. Other podcasts, yeah. Which is good. So we we tried to find some other cases for mm-hmm. this topic. I have and- the fan pick case this week. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I have the one. 
You're yeah. the one. I'm the one. <laughs> I found some other sad, horrific shit. So Great. don't worry. It's Plenty coming. to choose from. Yay! Yeah. Plenty to choose from. But first, <laughs> what are we drinking this morning, Amanda? What's our wine crime pairing? Well, I'm drinking tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm making that very clear. But our fan picker requested that we pair this episode with a Black-owned winery mm. and also really wanted something bubbly. Mm. So I was like, hold my beer, but not hold my, my tea. Hold my tea. Let's go. <laughs> my recommended pairing today is B. Stuyvesant Champagne, mm. owned by Marvina Robinson. This is one of the only Black-owned champagne brands, and out of more than 11,000 wineries in total based in the United States, less than 1% of those are Black-owned or even have a Black winemaker. Oh, is my this- God. That's great as well. Is this mm-hmm. from Bed-Stuy? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, uh, the grapes are not. So- her Thank love God. for, <laughs> <laughs> but like they're the naturally are... effervescent. Praise <laughs> be. We don't the know grapes... why they're bubbly, but here they are. Oh God, we made <laughs> we use water from the Hudson. Ooh. The Hudson and the Gowanus Canal. Oh God, the Gowanus. No. <laughs> so her love for her hometown, Bedsday inspired the name of her brand. The winery itself is located in Brooklyn, but all of their grapes are sourced from Champagne, France. So it's real champagne. It's real champagne. Nice. Yeah, it's legit. And you can order online and have it shipped to you if you're in like one of the states that allows that. Sorry, Kenyon. At stuyventchampagne.com. So that's S-T-U-Y. Sorry, Stuyvesant. Excuse me. S-T-U-Y-V-E-S-A-N-T champagne.com. And they even make champagne-inspired popcorn snack packs. And they make uh, uh, yes, kits of like please. mini, mini champagne bottles. So you can get like a six pack. Of their mini champagne, they have like <gasps> sparkling rosé, which is my personal favorite. Mm. Their their inventory is gorgeous. I had some awesome sparkling rosé last night. Yum! Just I love so good. That's so I your love jam. A sparkling rosé <laughs> or like a lambrusco, like a nice deep sparkling red. Yeah, big fan. So, cheers to anyone who may or may not be sipping actual boozes right now. And I raise my tea. To the B. Stuyvesant Champagne Co. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that. That sounds dope. Mm-hmm. Yum. All right. Well, cheers. And Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for medical mistrust? I feel like I do have some psych. There's yeah. got to be. Yeah. A 2015 report showed that about 75% of adult Americans have a primary care provider. I do not. Does your... I How do you not have a primary care provider? Is your... It, is it your OBGYN not fl- also your primary care? I mean, I I guess. I mean, I. it's been a journey. Mm. I had one. We moved here. It was COVID, whatever. I got one. I liked her. She has a whole Rothy's collection. We bonded. I mean, she mm. has more Rothy's than I do, okay? Oh, okay. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I have a doctor that I actually like, okay? Then all of a sudden, she left her practice and... Um, now at her new practice, she's not in network anymore. Mm. And I have been trying to find a different primary care doctor ever since and like got Zach an appointment at one, but then I was busy. So I was like, I'll make myself an appointment next month. And then when mm. I called back, they're no longer accepting new patients. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a pain. Racket. It's a racket. Yeah. And I hate it all. 
My OBGYN is basically my primary care provider. Same. I just I needed a new OB, and she was also listed in primary care. So I just oh, you mean like officially? Yep. Oh, and they they do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess my OBGYN did like renew my antidepressant prescription. So mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. I feel like if that you counts. like your OB, you should see if you are able to yeah. select her as your primary care physician. Okay. Now that we've taken care of that, next. <laughs> Sorry. I've gotten through half of my first I, sentence. I have a lot of questions Trauma. about my recent claims. Um, Can you help me with that? I, too? Too? Yeah. <laughs> I think yikes. legally you can't hang up on me unless I say a curse word. So let oh we're in God. this now. Can't be oh here all day if you don't start in the morning. Here we go. <laughs> Okay, so 75% of adult Americans have a primary care provider, and that's down 2% from 2002. (laughs) It's going down, is my point. Yeah. So that includes a 7% drop for people in their 30s and another significant drop for people who do not have complex medical issues. So if you're relatively young and you're Mm -hmm. relatively healthy, you're less likely to have have a PCP. Mm-hmm. PCP? PCP. Oh you'll hear less likely to experiment with angel dust. <laughs> also, patients who are male, Latino, black, or Asian, who do not have insurance and who live in the South are much less likely to have a primary care doctor. And do not worry, we will fucking get to the white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Couldn't avoid it if we tried. Mm-hmm. Nope. So this leads to people only visiting the doctor when they have to, meaning visits to urgent care, once-off visits, and increasingly utilizing apps to find quick and convenient diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So the whole system is becoming more impersonal and difficult from a patient's perspective. So that is is. a fucking problem. Mm -hmm. So all of these things and plenty more, again, we'll fucking get to it, feed into the growing public distrust of the healthcare system. In 1966, more than 75% of Americans reported having high levels of confidence in medical workers. That was in 1966. By 2012, only 34% felt that way. And in 2019, only 15% of Americans reported feeling a great deal of confidence in the U.S. medical system. I don't feel a great deal of confidence in the U.S. medical system. No. I don't feel a great deal of confidence in the U.S. anything. Period. Right. (laughs) Um, Not surprisingly, these statistics are even lower among people of color and marginalized communities. And unfortunately, trust is directly tied to the quality of care and clinical outcomes. So this is essentially a growing health public health crisis Mm -hmm. so for example one study found that nearly two-thirds of patients with high levels of trust always take their medications but only 14 percent of those with low levels of trust do Mm. and trust can also predict whether a patient followed their clinician's advice uh, about exercise smoking cessation condom use and vaccines Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm just because I'm a fucking dork, I Googled mistrust versus distrust. And mm. I think it's kind of an important thing to differentiate here. Mistrust reflects doubt or skepticism about the trustworthiness of the other, while mm. distrust reflects a settled belief that the other is untrustworthy. That makes so, sense. So mistrust implies accountability, like that trust could be regained. Sure. But distrust implies 
the bridge is burned, disengagement, yeah. and therefore disorder. Mm-hmm. And both of those apply in my segment. Mm-hmm. The American Board of Internal Medicine published a study in 2021 on public trust in the healthcare system, and there were three key findings. So number one, trust in clinicians, i.e. direct care, like the people you are directly dealing with, mm-hmm. is greater than trust in the overall healthcare system. Not really surprising. I feel like, yeah, my mistrust is more to do with the insurance companies and less to do with like the actual doctors and nurses that I'm encountering, although I have had, you know, have, once I've had both bad experiences <laughs> mm-hmm. with providers, but like it's mostly just the healthcare system and how fucked up it is. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the graph, it's about an average of 84, 85% trust in your direct care cl- clinicians. And it goes all the way down to like in the low 30s for mm. specifically health insurance. Yeah. Health and there's a there's a lot of things in the middle, like the hospitals, like the hospital systems, mm-hmm. people who run the, the like the administration, mm-hmm. shit like that. Mm-hmm. So it does go. You you identify the the top trustworthiness and the bottom trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, physician trust decreased during the COVID nineteen pandemic. About thirty two percent of the population reported decreases in trust in the healthcare system. Mm. It's not that much, and I feel like it was for really goddamn good reason. Mm-hmm. It's prop that number that thirty two percent probably reflects people on either end of the covid belief spectrum mm-hmm. you know like it was probably some people who felt that their doctors were going overboard and putting chips in their vaccines and covering masks. your children's faces yeah how could you <laughs> how dare you blah 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 those people and then oh. there's also probably some people who took covid really fucking seriously and felt that their doctor didn't take it seriously enough mm-hmm. yep yep good point The study also found that physicians understand the importance of building trust with patients, but they do not always perform trust-building behaviors. Yeah, they come in for like four minutes and just click at the computer and don't... Mm -hmm. They have no relationship with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I love my doctor. Mm -hmm. She like inquires about my personal life. Mm -hmm. My doctor also gives... The most gentle pap. I could barely feel her in there. It's yeah. amazing. Gentle pap makes all the difference. Uh, it really does. I need to get a Best pap doctor. on this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Kenyon flies to Minneapolis to see, Ken- I to should. see Amanda's. <laughs> Honestly, I should. And uh, it would be just as easy to get a timely appointment having to fly to Minnesota <laughs> than it is to get one fucking here. Probably. Uh, okay. So here are some other <laughs> findings from this study. People's trust in their primary physician increases with age and income. Mm-hmm. In- Probably because the doctor treats you right. better when you benefit from certain types of privilege. Yeah. And you have access to a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. But black and Hispanic patients report lower levels of trust regardless mm-hmm. of those two factors mm-hmm. than white patients. Mm-hmm. Also, 98, God, this makes me mad. 98% of physicians say that their patients trust them, but only 83% of the population actually trusts their physicians. Yeah, they don't fucking know. Of course they're going to say that. Yeah. To keep their numbers looking good. Mm -hmm. 
Also, most people choose their doctors based on their insurance coverage and convenience. So there is Correct. not a lot of shopping around happening. It's mm -mm. impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And no one and is accepting new patients. People aren't in network. They stop being in network. It's all the information online is false. Mm -hmm. So if you don't like your doctor, it's kind of like you can't just switch. Yeah. yeah. Unless you want to be without a, care. Especially if you live in a rural area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even yeah. semi-rural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like that's who you get or like you only, you know, if you if you work certain days and certain hours. Right. You can only get in at a certain time yeah. and you're just stuck with what you've what you got. Mm -hmm. Right. So the study also revealed some troubling disparities in physician versus patient reporting, kind of like I alluded to. A large majority of physicians and they put this number at 90 percent believe that their patients are able to schedule appointments and follow recommendations. But far fewer patients say that they are actually able to do so, and that number is at 76%. Mm. Young adults, black and Hispanic respondents, those without a college degree, and low-income households report more barriers to those things. Sure. Mm -hmm. But physicians are just like, yeah, they're fine. How hard yeah, could it be? Yeah, they can be? figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to schedule everything online, but a lot of people do not have a computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's or just, if you call, there are, mm -hmm. so, you know, so many office hours. Oh, we'll call you back. Yeah, and wait times are We're hours long. We're closed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're open Mondays until 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. yeah. Parking is impossible. Uh, good luck finding a bus route. Or mm -hmm. child care. Oh, the call dropped. Click. But now we have to start all over again. Oh, that's happened to me. <sighs> <sighs> In terms of drivers of mistrust, the main factor for patients is their doctor spending too little time with them, which was at 25%. Another 25%, so a total of 50%, was just other. Mm -hmm. So it might have just been like, I just don't They're like my doctor. Asshole. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. After that, spending too little time, 14% of patients said their doctors didn't listen to them or know them. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, physicians believe the biggest contributor to patients' mistrust is poor communication. Mm -hmm. at 27%, followed by high costs and challenges with insurance. Mm -hmm. And this is disturbing because it shows to me that doctors are not internalizing the biggest barriers that exist in their patient care. They're kind of blaming outside factors. And I included the communication part because I feel like that's just a nice way of saying, oh, my patients don't tell me what's wrong. You know, right. yeah. because you haven't built that trust for them to actually mm -hmm. tell you what's wrong. And you haven't built a system in which Patients have time to think, develop a relationship with you, or and yeah. do that communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone communicates in that like direct way where they're like, okay, here's my list. And even mm -hmm. and if you do, I always feel like, especially as a woman, if I do come in with a list to try to save time, be like, this is what's bothering me. This is what I've noticed. Like this, this. Then they you come off as crazy. You right. come off as crazy. And like their guard goes up and they're like, wow, hope, hypochondriac, you mm -hmm. know, like whatever. I guess I guess we're going to spend the next 10 minutes having to waiting. talk to each other. Yeah, the, talking her down off the ledge when really it's just like I have some issues and I'd like yeah. them to be. Addressed. And I haven't been able to get in for an appointment in a minute. So yeah. they've stacked up. What right. do you want me to fucking do? Yeah, it's not. And also, like, we're not shitting on doctors no individually it's, it's the, the system. system is really fucked yeah, i'm sure they, they would like to have a slower pace of work too and mm -hmm. and yeah you of know, course but mm -hmm. capitalism 
Yep. So uh, when I mentioned that doctors think that the high cost and the insurance is a big issue, that's not delusional. I'm not saying that the high cost isn't detrimental to quality care because it's super duper is. So, quote, nearly two thirds of Americans believe financial barriers to care constitute a very serious problem for the country, one that makes Americans more vulnerable in public health emergencies. Mm -hmm. Low income families report being significantly less trusting of physicians and less satisfied with their medical care than non low income families. Mm -hmm. Other obstacles for low income patients include higher likelihood of living in an area with less access to quality health resources. Mm-hmm. Limited availability of quality nutrition and recreational facilities and increased chance of developing chronic illness. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. talk about some other factors impacting patients' trust of doctors. Mm-hmm. We have lack of representation. Black Americans make up 13% of the U.S. population, but only 4% of U.S. doctors and less than 7% of medical students. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did not know that less than 7%. Oh, my God, that's that's wild to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People of color are four times more likely to seek out a physician of color. Mm-hmm. Low income Medicaid and uninsured people are also more likely to go to a person of color for care. Mm-hmm. These groups are also more likely to report higher satisfaction with a physician of color. Mm-hmm. Moreover, there is proven differential treatment between white patients and patients of color. So many fucking studies on this. Mm -hmm. Quote, ethnic minority patients receive less information, empathy, and attention from their physicians regarding their medical care than their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. Lack of information results in limited awareness, knowledge, or understanding of the availability or value of medical research. Further studies have illustrated that African-American patients are less likely to receive medical services than white patients with similar complaints and symptoms. Yeah, there. Mm. What, what's the term for like undervaluing black patients pain levels? There's I don't like, know what that racism. like. Yeah, it's, well. we just it's under the blanket <laughs> of medical racism. Right. I thought there was like a specific term for like how. They're, like they've done studies and doctors like will doctors and nurses will like not believe patients of color when they say like their pain is an eight out of 10 or whatever. They'll mm-hmm. automatically like be like, OK, well, it's actually more like a four out of 10. That's why I like and, the like, mortality rate dose maternal mortality rates and stuff so like that high for right. black women. among black moms. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. I don't know the I don't know what the word I'll for that is, it. but it's, it's very real. Mm hmm. Yeah. Another one, discrimination and bias. A 2010 national survey reported that among LGBTQ plus and HIV positive communities, and I want to point out, this is how the study lumped these two groups together. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that they're like interchangeable in any way. Mm-hmm. Right. So among those two groups, more than half of people experience some sort of discrimination in their health care. Mm-hmm. Some common examples of discrimination in these cases include healthcare workers refusing to touch them. Mm-hmm. Using excessive precautions, so like gloves and washing your hands multiple times and like masking, you know, like yeah, that over they the top do with other patients. Like, gayness is not a contagion, right? Well, yeah, and you and can't even catch HIV, HIV from being in a room hugging. or touching someone. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. if you drink their blood, you might have a higher risk. <laughs> yeah. Maybe mm. just don't do that, doctor idiot. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Also using derogatory language, blaming the patients for their health status or being physically rough or abusive. Mm-hmm. Nearly 56% of lesbian, gay, or bisexual respondents and 70% of transgender and gender nonconforming respondents reported having at least one of these negative experiences. Mm-hmm. And from the New York Times, quote, states with higher levels of social trust tend to have lower rates of late HIV diagnoses, mm-hmm. partly because people feel more comfortable seeking care and getting tested right. earlier. Yeah, stigma fucking kills. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, if people are afraid to go to the doctor and be tested and be treated, they're just gonna w- wait it out, and then mm-hmm. it'll, and they will get sicker, and yeah. then the risk to others also increases. Yep, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the cost to the system increase, mm-hmm. which is the least important part of this. But it's right, true. but you'd think under the fucking iron grip of capitalism, we'd care about that, and we just fucking don't. No. Yep, yep, yep. So that's kind of the first part of my segment. And since I know we're going to be talking about historical cases of the medical community experimenting on marginalized people at the expense of their autonomy and dignity, Mm -hmm. I wanted to touch on that specifically also. I didn't cover what you guys are covering. Mm -hmm. Like Amanda said, our fan picker did not want us to cover the Tuskegee. Kenyon said that, but yes. Oh, I credit where credit is due. I was picturing Kenyon and I said, Amanda, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm Amanda. (laughs) Happens all the time. What do you mean? I am Amanda now. (laughs) We're all Amanda now. We're all Amanda now. Like when we all put on blue wigs at Crime Con. Yes, that was amazing. I cried. Uh, You really did. I loved it. People around us were so confused. (laughs) Yep. Okay, like Kenyon said, the fan picker did not want us to cover the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, but I want to point out that this is the most widely recognized reason for distrust among black Americans because of the extent and duration of deception and mistreatment. Mm -hmm. However, medical exploitation has been occurring specifically in North America at the expense of black indigenous and enslaved people for Hundreds of years. Yeah, mm-hmm. just because it's the most well-known case today doesn't mean that it's the it's, only case. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's not the most recent. It's not the most severe. Mm-hmm. And it's not the most widespread. It's, it's just, just the most famous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in Part the 19... 19- of a pattern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example, in the 1940s, Canada's government deliberately malnourished children in residential schools, so indigenous children, Mm -hmm. um, to study the effects of milk. Like, they didn't give them milk. Proper food. Food and, ugh, Jesus fucking Christ. These are young kids. Yeah. They're they're, uh, victims as young as nine, in my case. Yeah. In Saskatchewan in the 30s, indigenous children were deliberately infected with tuberculosis for the purpose of medical experiments. Mm -hmm. I hate it everywhere. Blanket trigger warning as far (laughs) as kids being used. Well, wait for that, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's more. (laughs) It's just these residential schools. I mean, I know, I know how horrific it is, but it's like every single time. You learn something else about these schools. It's like it's, sicker and it's sicker. Worse. Like the limit it's, does not exist in right. terms of how far they went. Yeah, it's oh, really fucking scary. God. It's really fucking scary. Mm-hmm. Quote: In recent years, there have been lawsuits 
recent years. There have Mm. been lawsuits over the forced sterilization of indigenous women and skin grafts performed on Inuit people. Oh, my fucking God. Uh Uh-huh. So that's a little bit about our neighbors to the north. Mm-hmm. And again, things like that also happened in the United States. Yeah, there were residential schools in the U.S. The, yeah. yeah, these are just like the examples 1960s. out of Canada. Yeah. yeah, I just pulled a couple from a Canadian yeah. article. Right. For sure. I'm just making sure that our listeners know right. that we're not saying. It's everywhere. It's yeah. fucking everywhere. Right. This only happens in Canada is what yeah, she's saying. Guys, and we Canada are absolved of all guilt. <laughs> America is a great nation. We're perfect. And we beat racism because we had a black president. We won. American so. James Marion Sims, the man credited for being the, quote, father of modern gynecology, mm, conducted yeah. his research, which frequently involved invasive surgeries, mm-hmm. very frequently, on enslaved black women without anesthesia or consent because he, like many other medical professionals in the 19th century, believed that black people don't feel pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I almost covered this. And then for my own comfort, I could not. Like, I, it's, it's so bad. So bad. And like to, to what Kenyon touched on earlier and then what Lucy just said, it's like still not maybe not directly taught but implied in medical school that people of color experience pain at a different rate yep like Mm -hmm. this is still prevalent Mm -hmm. in the medical system today there have been completely clear it's fucking false yes it's completely false it is completely false there have been papers published in the 2000s suggesting that and a lot of it too it's like it's very possible that like certain groups have been socialized to right to have a higher pain threshold or yeah well to have to outwardly minimize the signs that they're enduring high levels of pain exactly it's like a survival pain is chronic or for survival or because you know, like culturally, they're not supposed to talk about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the pain level is different. It means exactly that the mm-hmm. outward signs that you might be looking for might be different or you might just be completely inventing and projecting your thoughts onto this other person mm-hmm. because of your racism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this part. particular guy and this example is so, there's so many layers to it because these women were owned by mm-hmm. they had no autonomy men. at all yeah he got mm-hmm. consent from their enslavers mm-hmm. he not only got consent from their enslavers but they like signed paperwork so that for the duration of these experiments he owned the yep. women who he was experimenting on oh my god i'm feeling i feel fucking sick uh-huh. it is so so vile mm-hmm. yeah also, by the way, anesthesia was new at this time, but it was definitely available. Available. Mm-hmm. Even just like fucking ether or whatever that shit mm-hmm. is that they would huff. Cider House rules. Yes, mm-hmm. they fucking had that shit. Mm-hmm. They had opium. They had mm-hmm. morphine. Booze. You know, you could, there were ways mm-hmm. to knock a person out. Or they try chose to. not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From history.com, quote, he also... Te- this is so bad. He also tested surgical treatments on enslaved black children in an effort to treat neonatal tetanus with little to no success. Sims believed that African-Americans were less intelligent than white people 
and thought it was because their skulls grew too quickly around their brains. Jesus so he would Christ. operate on black children using a shoemaker's tool to no. pry their bones apart and loosen their skulls. I'm going to fucking throw up. Yeah, this is it's, like so it's, fucked up. It's some of the scariest shit imaginable. He, ju- he just was a psychopath. Mm-hmm. He invented the speculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too much. Okay, so from a 2015 paper published by the National Library of Medicine, quote, as recently as the 1990s, unethical medical research involving African-Americans has been conducted by highly esteemed academic institutions. I tried to find out what those institutions were. University of Cincinnati. We will get Mm. to it. Mm, Great. For example, researchers at a prestigious U.S. university recruited African-American boys into a study that hypothesized a genetic etiology of aggressive behavior. Oh, for God's sakes. Through the use of monetary incentives, they were able to convince parents to enroll their sons in a study that included withdrawal from all medications, including asthma medications, ingesting a monoamine, so like a low-protein diet, Mm -hmm. an overnight stay without their parents, withholding of water, hourly blood draws, and the administration of fenfluramine, which is a drug known to increase serotonin levels and suspected to be associated with aggressive behaviors. Oh, my God. So they they do all this on fucking children, but they can't study the effects of, like, any medication on pregnant people because it's, you know, like it unethical, would, be unethical. But mm-hmm. yeah, we're just going to strap some black boys down, oh not give them water, take them off their life saving medications and draw their blood every hour mm-hmm. away from their parents alone. Cold and give them scared. medication that is thought to increase aggressive behaviors. Yeah, to- to test whether to test out genetically and- they're I think because their their brains and their skulls are different. I fucking hate everything. In addition to these methods, several other significant human subject violations were cited, including restricting the recruitment to black children. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about on the show about the possibilities behind genealogy mapping and DNA mapping and like the Golden State Killer and all these like mm-hmm. people who are being caught because of like 23andMe and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But we have to take into account concerns of non-white communities. Mm-hmm. Quote, two separate studies examining barriers to African-American participation in genetics research found that African-American participants worried about the use of DNA collected in biomedical research in later criminal investigations to implicate innocent people. Yeah, you cannot blame the black and brown communities for feeling that way. No. Yeah. When like literally even fucking like facial recognition technology has proven to be racist. Yep. So of course, of course there'd be concern about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Moreover, the literature demonstrates that African-Americans report concern that the findings associated with their participation will not benefit their own communities. It's like, mm-hmm. why the fuck would I know? Give yeah. my literal pound of flesh mm-hmm. yeah. so that to benefit white people in the medical industry. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my point is the examples of exploitation 
uh, specifically of these communities are numerous and ongoing. And while you don't have to be a person of color or a member of a marginalized community to have a valid distrust of medical professionals, Mm -hmm. it is crucial to recognize why that exists for those people in the first place, how it's perpetuated and how it's very directly perpetuates white supremacy Mm -hmm. and what the overall effects of the community are on the community as a whole, both health and otherwise. And when you see it happening, to call it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Because it's intentional. So, like, we have to dismantle it. Yeah. Yep. So, just a little background for us. Great. Well, well, this is a fun episode. Yeah. We're going to have so much fun. Uh Loving. Yep. 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 Loving it. Loving it. So much room for, like, jokes and stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's hear a real quick word from our sponsors. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh Uh-oh. Father's Day is right around the corner, and uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb there and guess that you maybe haven't gotten dead anything yet. (laughs) I haven't. My dad's not even here. (laughs) Well, even if he was, dads are really, really hard to shop for. Mm -hmm. But don't worry. That is where the sponsor of today's show comes in, Manscaped. You and I both know that dad needs some serious grooming in his life. So grab him the Performance Package 4.0 and he will thank you for helping him tame everything he's got going on. Uh Plus, it's a win-win situation for mom, dad, and the whole family. Anybody who's got to take a look at that guy. Yeah. So go to manscaped.com and use code GALS20 for 20% off plus free shipping. I mean, I may not be scrambling to get my father a Father's Day gift for obvious reasons, although buying a gift for a ghost would be super cool. (laughs) But I remember how truly hairy that man's back was because Mm. I always got the short straw to put sunscreen on him at summer vacation. Yeah. And if only I had had this product then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and really everywhere on the bod. There's hair that can sprout in a lot of places, folks. Yeah, it grows all over the place. And they perfected their game with the Lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized grooming kit that says, your balls will thank you right there on the box. They know what they're getting. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. You don't want to nick your balls. And you might ask, how is this lawnmower 4.0 different from other trimmers? Well, we'll tell you this upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock so that nothing's, you know, vibrating for TSA. This is a great feature. Yeah, you don't have to explain why your bag is jiggling. Shaking off the the ramp. Correct. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. So you can now shave your balls in a blackout. Who knows? You might lose power. Camping. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. So give yourself a special little haircut. Try something new. And... Have you ever seen a nose bush just sticking out of your dad's nose? Not even a few hairs, like a full bush. Yeah. I have. And the Weed Whacker 2.0 nose and ear hair trimmer is the best nose hair trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your pops. They also have other amazing products like 
cologne, crop mop, ball wipes, crop reviver, ball toner, and crop preserver ball deodorant. Hello. So get your dad a gift you know they're going to use. He's going to have a ball. Oh. All right. Well. Before you even ask, no, I'm not ready. Yep. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> You're not. Okay. So during the Cold War, ever heard of great. it? Great. <laughs> Off to a great start. <laughs> Every good case starts with, so during the Cold War. During the Cold War, <laughs> there's some dudes on a beach with John oh. Wayne. Oh, no. And to be fair, though, he hurt my really feelings. Mean. <laughs> okay, no. The United States and the Soviet Union were each trying to figure out if their societies could survive a nuclear catastrophe, and they wanted to know how much radiation a human body could endure. Great. Oh, Jesus. Cool. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I think you can probably see where this is going. Oh, my God. A big piece of this equation was figuring out how to protect soldiers in the event that we all start lobbing fucking nukes at each other. Because mm-hmm. hiding under a desk in your middle school in not quite Kansas <laughs> is probably not going to do it. No. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. government thought that the best option would be to run lethal secret experiments on unknowing marginalized people. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. So this this country, like we've talked about, has a history of secretly experimenting on people. And this is not some conspiracy theory. This is just fucking history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes medical experiment victims, like we said, were wards of mental health facilities or Mm -hmm. prisons or residential schools or whatever, or in some other way, unable to truly consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that in the like LSD, Mm -hmm. uh, the, those like, experiments it was like prisoners or like very poor college students Mm -hmm. getting them to like quote unquote volunteer for something where they like do not have a true informed consent they do not know exactly what they're fucking signing up for Mm -hmm. correct they don't have they don't have as much space to say no Mm -hmm. no because they don't have all the information they do not have informed consent it's not informed consent even the consent that they get in my case is not informed consent right So the particular experiment I'm going to talk about today was spearheaded by Dr. Eugene Lang. No relation. Sanger. L-A-N-G-E. Not spelled the same. Names change. So Dr. Eugene Sanger at the University of Cincinnati. The patients in his study weren't in psych wards or jails. Instead, they were referred from public hospitals but they mm-hmm. were disproportionately African-Americans, children, the elderly, and poor. Yep. Oh. So, and the fact that they were from public hospitals was like yep. part yeah. of it, you know? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, these are places where folks who do not have access to medical care, like, go to the ER for something. They're already kind of backed into a corner. Right, for something minor because that's the only way they can see a doctor. And then they're getting referrals. Mm -hmm. Well, these particular people were not there for something minor and we're about to get to it. But yeah, they didn't have access to private hospitals or, you know, like... Trusted, consistent care. Yeah. So Eugene Sanger was born in 1917 in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he was a fucking Cincinnati diehard his whole, with the exception of like undergrad, he spent his whole fucking life in Cincinnati. Like That's when Helen was born, just for perspective. Yeah. For everyone listening. (laughs) He was in the same graduating class as Helen. Mm -hmm. He was a university professor and a physician, and he taught at the University of Cincinnati for over 30 years. 
His interest in radiology came from his uncle, Sidney Lang. Still no relation. Lange. <laughs> Lange. One of the pioneer radiologists in the city. Mm-hmm. Sanger completed his undergraduate degree in biochemical science at Harvard in 1938 and returned to Cincinnati for medical school and received his medical degree there in 1942. He had some career accomplishments. He did some stuff with leukemia and radiology. He just started to really f- focus on radiology. Mm-hmm. He hoped to develop a quick blood and urine test that could easily indicate a person's radiation exposure level. Okay. The idea was to study the changes in blood, urine, and mental alertness of terminally ill cancer patients after all or part of their body had been exposed to extremely high doses of radiation. Did he, like, accidentally invent chemotherapy? No. (laughs) So chemotherapy had already existed... And radiation, various radiation therapies had already existed. And we already knew, like, I will get to it, but, like, mm-hmm. the medical community already knew that large doses of radiation were, were bad. Poisonous. Were yeah. poisonous and deadly. And, and so, excruciatingly painful. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. We already knew that. Right. We just want to know how far we could push it. Correct. Mm-hmm. This was not... He tried to claim later that this was, like, for cancer research... It was not. It was mm-hmm. for the Pentagon. It was what happens when the bombs go off. Yep. Ugh. Research. Yeah. What can we anticipate? Yeah. Yep. What will happen to our soldiers if they get nuked? Mm-hmm. And he was using terminal cancer patients just because they were expendable. Correct. They were going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. Correct. Whew. All right. Just And they that were up. desperate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to get to all of it. But yes, that's essentially what we're talking about here. Cool, 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 cool. So his application for a government grant was titled Metabolic Changes in Humans Following Total Body Radiation. Mm-hmm. And in it, he essentially pitched his research to the Pentagon by claiming that a test like this would be useful on the nuclear battlefield. It aimed to answer specifically for battlefield commanders questions like, In the event of a nuclear explosion, how much radiation could a soldier withstand before becoming disabled or disoriented? Mm -hmm. The Department of Defense loved it, Mm -hmm. ate it up, approved the grant, threw money at him. They would continue to be his primary funders for years. And he basically just was given like free reign. Yep to do this because the DOD has a ton of money. Whereas like a lot of other medical research, you have to do a lot, jump through a lot more hoops Mm -hmm. to get get approval, to get approval and funding. Peer reviewed and blah, blah, blah. Right. The DOD was like, sick. Go ahead. Do it. Here's all the money. Keep going. You barely have to reapply every year. Like just go for it. You're a shoe in. Oh, they probably thought, felt like there was a, they had to do it quick too. It's the fucking Mm -hmm. cold war. It's the Cold War. It's 1960. I mean, it mm. is like there's like Prime nuclear fear. brinksmanship happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1960, the tests began. They would go on for more than a decade. Mm-hmm. Sanger's team at the University of Cincinnati exposed at least 80 cancer patients to large radiation doses. Great. Oh, Many God. patients were exposed over their whole bodies, which, again, at this point in time, the medical community already knew that this could would be deadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would fuck you up. 
At the time, whole body radiation had been used in the treatment of leukemia, but was already controversial. Mm -hmm. And radiation of all the lymph nodes in the body was also sometimes used in the treatment of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. But these diseases were the exception, not the rule. And that's because like the only reason that we did whole body or close to whole body radiation in those two cases is because of how quickly Mm -hmm. those particular diseases spread. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was literally just like a stopgap measure. Mm -hmm. But that is not the kind of cancers that the patients in this study had. had. Right. So it was not an appropriate treatment. And we already Even if they were trying to use that as an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. So the researchers uh, in Sanger's experiment would then record participants' physical and mental responses after they were blasted with radiation. That is so fucking sick, dude. Give them a little quiz after. Yeah. And I mean, record them just like basically writhing in pain and trying to complete basic tasks. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about radiation exposure, like how quickly it sets in. I mean, are you going to talk about that? No, I I didn't get into it. Okay. Like, you is it immediate? You get your jollies Googling that yourself. That's a, that's a legitimate thing to ask if if immediately afterwards administering a I test. Think is, I think there's a lot of, like, nausea and mental disorientation, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and then you can die. And then your insides melt? Or are they melting yeah, right away? Much. We will get to it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Most of the patients were poor or working class people that were treated at the general hospital in Cincinnati. About 60% of the patients were black. Mm-hmm. Early proportionate. On, yeah, super proportionate mm-hmm. to the 13% of the overall population. Early on, Dr. Edward Radford, who also worked at the University of Cincinnati and was on Dr. Sanger's faculty committee, but not part of the experiment, but on one of the people like overseeing it and being like, This doesn't sit right. Mm -hmm. He questioned the experiment's therapeutic aims. So he wrote a memo that indicated that the National Institutes of Health had already rejected Dr. Sanger's proposal on ethical grounds before Mm -hmm. he went to the DOD for funding. Yeah. So he was he was shopping this around as like a legitimate experiment. And they were like, no, no, you can't just blast radiation at people Mm -hmm. and then see if they can do Sudoku. Right. It's really fucked up. I found a quote and then I forgot to add it in here, but there's some doctor, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Dr. Radford, but someone, some doctor who was evaluating this study said at the time, and again, this is 1960. So mm-hmm. very, you know, World War II is still real fresh mm-hmm. said like, this isn't a good idea. This feels very like Buchenwald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it is. It's it's mm-hmm. no different than the Nazi experiments. Y'all, what was the, the name Nazis, of that doctor? The, the Nazis took Mangala. so many mm-hmm. fucking tips mm-hmm. from the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Sanger was reportedly irate that anyone would dare question his genius. Uh, yeah. His methods. Saying, quote, who are these guys telling me how to do my research? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a quote. Great. They're literally your faculty committee. That's how it works. Bruh. Mm-hmm. Also, the <laughs> National Institutes of Health. That's yeah. who these guys are telling you how to do your research. But it's mm-hmm. fine. So within about a month of the study beginning, 21 patients had died. 
Great. In a month? In a, about a month, a little over a month. Wow. Not from their cancers, but from, yeah, the, from treatment the treatment itself. Ugh, ick. Most suffered severe nausea and or mental disorientation up until their deaths. So just, just a horrific last month on Earth. The patients, Less than. Yeah. The patients mm-hmm. all had terminal diagnoses to, mm-hmm. to be part of the study. So they were, they had terminal diagnoses, but they were otherwise deemed healthy. So what this mm-hmm. means is that basically they had breast, lung, or gastrointestinal malignancies or tumors mm-hmm. that were deemed to be inoperable, but they weren't necessarily fast growing. Right. They weren't going to die in a month. They yeah. weren't going to die in a month. They could have had years left. Correct. And they were outwardly Ugh. living their lives. They were walking of their own accord, deemed healthy besides, <sighs> you know, this Were they, I, I'm sure you're going to get to this. I'm just curious. Were they like some, were some of the individuals in this experiment give under the impression that this was like an experimental treatment yes. for their cancer? Oh, for God's sake. They were lied to, yes, and we will get to it. Holy shit. So in order to be selected for the experiment, patients had to have been judged physically strong enough to withstand the tests. So again, they're they're not like, you know, weak physically. No, at they the have time. to be dying, but they have to be well enough Correct. to live long enough through these radiation exposures to be able to document results. Well, and right. also and to, to like and to be perform the baseline some tasks because exactly. they're tr- what they're trying to see is what a healthy soldier would do, right. but they need right. someone who is expendable at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So right. they need someone who can like walk on their own, lift some, you know, like whatever, get in and out of bed on their own, whatever. Not lying in a bed. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Fuck. None had previously gone through standard chemotherapy or radiation therapy before this. So they had to be like clean slates, basically, in terms of the radiation. And this was intentional because the experiment required replicating radiation on healthy tissue. Mm -hmm. So the patients were aged anywhere between nine and 84 years old. Wow. Christ. They were exposed to up to 300 rads over the course of just a few hours. Oh, my God. The exp- I know. 300 rads? No. What's oh, a rad? That well, sounds really fucking bad. It sounds bad. The exposure rate was equivalent to about 20,000 x-rays worth of radiation. Oh, my God. In a few hours. And your dental hygienist leaves the room when that's happening. Yeah, yeah. you have to or wear just like your a, mouth. You have that to wear weird like apron. A thing. Yeah, the really heavy apron. So twenty thousand full body X rays in one blast. Ugh, that's I can't. That's crazy. I also keep picturing the machine that does this, and I get such heaves, mm-hmm. such Ugh. Chernobyl meltdown. Mm-hmm. Just ugh. Hmm. A radiologist at the Sloan Kettering Memorial Cancer Center later said that the radiation in Sanger's experiment, quote, approaches what happens in an atomic accident and that, quote, nobody, to my knowledge, is using whole body radiation as a therapeutic measure. Unsurprisingly, the mortality rate in the study was very, very high. Of the 80 plus patients that were experimented on between 1960 and 1971, as many as one quarter are thought to have died from the radiation exposure. I wouldn't want to have lived after that kind of exposure. No. You'd probably be begging for death. It'd be so painful. 
This figure is based on a 1972 report by three University of Cincinnati junior faculty members who evaluated the experiment after it was like exposed in the press and had to be stopped. Mm -hmm. The New York Times wrote in 1994 that the study had exposed patients to the highest levels of whole body radiation and caused the most deaths of all the government sponsored experiments since World War II. Good God. Oh, my God. Well, congrats on your win. Most you won deaths most deaths. Of all government experiments Fuck. since World War II. Ugh. It's like the worst thing to win at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How horrific is that sentence? What were they uh, doing in World War II? I mean, what weren't they doing? But I mean, I know what the Nazis were doing. I don't know right. what we were doing. We were, well, no, we dropped a lot of A-bombs and mm-hmm. we dropped. I mean, as experiments, whatever, it doesn't matter. We there was bombing. I don't know. We can't get to it. Okay, Dr. Sanger acknowledged that the high radiation levels may have contributed to the death of eight of the 80 patients. Maybe. So he's like, "Uh, uh, don't blow it out of proportion. Only 10 percent of my patients died from my experiment. (laughs) Uh, Everybody fucking chill. Everybody chill. It's not 25 percent. It's 10 percent of people needlessly dying. Soaking wet. Also, like, (laughs) also, like, these experiments weren't. It's 10% soaking wet in heels. In your bra. (laughs) It's Tom Sandoval's lifted shoes. But my hair's gotten really long, okay? That's why I weigh more. Okay. My skin weighs a lot. Subtract my my skin. (laughs) A really heavy skin. But also, like, this wasn't. Fuck. This experiment wasn't with the intention of, like, saving anyone's life it was just never to see how much is too much correct but he had to lie a little bit Mm -hmm. and pretend a little bit to get funding Mm -hmm. not he wasn't even lying about it was never intended to save he had to wink wink nudge nudge this this could have therapeutic benefits because they had to say that to the people to get them to sign up for it and we well yeah but So it was in the language, but no, it was never the intention. Correct. Yeah. It was uh, off-label use. Oh, Oh, God. But because of the terminal diagnoses of the patients, the exact number of deaths that are directly connected to the radiation as opposed to their cancers is unclear, which was fucking on purpose. They could Mm -hmm. shush it. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. They knew that it was going to kill people. That's why they had to have people that were going to die anyway so that they could say, well, they were going to die anyway. And also, okay, then that makes it an even worse award for you to win because even when you're judging the numbers mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make it look like only X amount of people died as a result of the treatment, quote unquote, you still got 10%. Literally no one benefited from the treatment. No. no one lived longer than was expected. From the treatment. Jesus Christ. The treatment. Yeah. So how did they get people to sign up for this? Well, it's simple. They were fucking lied to. Mm -hmm. The University of Cincinnati Hospital would refer patients with advanced cancer diagnoses to Dr. Sanger. And again, this is a public hospital. So where people are going that, you know, need subsidized care. Care. Yeah. Sanger would explain to patients the purpose of his tests. But crucially, he did not tell them that they're treatments were being paid for by the Department of Defense or what the real aims of the study were. Ooh. Yeah. Because they probably would have been a little more skeptical. I don't yeah. think I would have 
said yes if you were like, well, what we really want to see is how a nuclear bomb would hurt a soldier on the battlefield. Yeah, we don't know how. We are a human guinea pig, really, is what you are. Quickly, the flesh will remove itself from the bone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God. Instead, he billed it as testing potential treatments or cancer therapies that might help them. Mm-hmm. When patients were giving their consent, researchers also did not inform them of the possible fucking likely side effects or negative outcomes that could occur if they underwent the test. So they weren't like you could experience blah, blah, blah. Like we know that. Da, da. No, nothing. Wow. Here, sign up. You've got terminal cancer. This is a potential an experimental study. treatment. You yeah. could. This they could were probably fix you. excited. Yeah. Were there yeah. any guidelines requirements for because i know there are definitely requirements now so for that kind of stuff next sentence so uh written consent forms were not used for the first five years because they weren't really broadly introduced until 1965 Mm -hmm. so it was just like oral consent verbal consent Oral consent. Oral consent. <laughs> Gross. Oral. So in 1965, there was like a more general push to have more rigorous procedures for human experimentation. Mm-hmm. But they still, even when they started doing written consent, it was still bullshit on the forms. They never disclosed that it was the Pentagon sponsoring right. the experiment. Right. After news broke about the experiment in 1970 and 1971, university officials said that the patients were told now about the Pentagon's involvement and then things wrapped up within a year Mm -hmm. because they couldn't get anyone else to sign up for it. Mm, Weird. I wonder why. Of the 80 plus patients, there were six that were still alive in the 1970s. The hospital said that their program of applying whole body or partial body atomic radiation to terminal cancer patients had some positive results. But I don't fucking think that that's true because only six were still alive. Mm -hmm. And how long did they conduct? 11 years. Uh, Oh, okay. So of those six who were still alive, they went through this continuously for 11 years? No, no. Okay. Some joined later. You know, they were dying so rapidly at the beginning Mm -hmm. that they had to get recruit more people. So I don't know. Would they only send one person through the thing? Like, would you only go through one round? I don't know the details. Sorry. I don't know. it's almost like it was a that. government operation. There's no yeah. detail. It was co- it was conducted in like the deep dark basement of this University of Cincinnati hospital because they didn't want other people exposed. to be exposed to radiation. Yeah, because they knew how fucking awful it is. Yeah, just goes around the corner. Yep. So Senator Ted Kennedy called the study a quote incredibly an incredible infringement of individual liberty and threatened to investigate the program through his Senate Health Subcommittee. And then this pressure from Ted Kennedy is one of the big reasons why the funding stopped, because the the DOD was like, okay, we're getting a lot of flack for this. I guess pull the money. In 1984, the University of Cincinnati released thousands of documents about the study. The papers included internal memos and private reports from members of a faculty committee that had argued privately for years about the safety and morality of exposing these patients to high doses of radiation. So it kind of exposed all the internal grumblings of like, I feel squeaky they, about this. They they pulled her emails. Yeah. Years of emails. Mm-hmm. Of, of 13 of, years after the fact. 13 years of typewriter emails. 
God, you're like, I don't know if we should be doing this. This seems bad. This seems bad. (laughs) The hospital said that the project was not a secret because their findings had been published in reputable medical journals several times. Mm -hmm. No one reads those. The patients certainly aren't reading them. Also, those Mm -mm. happen after the fact. Like way after. after. You're publishing findings. Mm Mm-hmm. Although the New York Times also put quotes around the word reputable, so I'm not sure, like, which medical (laughs) journals they were. (laughs) Trump University Medical (laughs) Journal. Self-published. Oh, God. (laughs) When this is the part that you're gonna, you're both gonna just absolutely lose your shit. This is the part? This is the part. When accused of purposely using patients with low IQ levels, they said that they weren't seeking out people with low IQ levels, but it merely reflected the IQ of people using public hospitals. Wow. Oh. Wow. Cool. Oh. Fucking asshole pieces of shit. Oh, God. Yeah, unpack that one. It's their own fault. It's not our fault that this was the the subset of the population we available. We were trying to dupe people with low IQ levels mm-hmm. in, or seeing them as more expendable. That's just poor, poor black people just are dumb. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what the, that's oh what they're saying. Oh my god. The race of the patients was not addressed in the first like exposé article in 1971, shocker. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. But it, it was in the Congressional Review in 1994. That review had a few concerns that they wanted addressed including uh did the radiation levels help treat the patients' cancers? No. No. Did the University of Cincinnati administrators conceal reviews by top medical faculty members who criticized how the experiment was being done? Yes. yes. Dr. Sanger, who was retired by this point and 77 years old, was at the review and he claimed that the primary purpose was to treat the cancer and only the secondary purpose an incidental purpose was to provide data to the Pentagon, but that's not fucking Go true at all. fuck yourself. <laughs> it's God. just absolute bullshit. He said, quote, people were sick. They had far advanced cancer and we gave them this treatment to see whether we could improve their condition. No. Okay. And no, when we it. found that we couldn't, we just kept doing it and when for, they, for 11 13 years. years. And when they kept dying within a month of each other, we just had to recruit more. Ugh, God. Families of the patients who died said that there was scientific evidence as early as 1959, so before Mm -hmm. the study began, casting doubt on the use of whole body radiation to treat the tumors that these patients had, which is like I said at the top. We already knew by 1960 that this was not an appropriate treatment for the cancers that they had. Mm -hmm. At the Congressional Review, Dr. David Eggelman, who was a former instructor in family medicine at the University of Cincinnati, said, quote, The study was designed to test the effect of radiation on soldiers. It was known when the study began that whole body radiation wouldn't treat the types of cancers these patients had. What happened here is one of the worst things this government has ever done to its citizens in secret. What's mm-hmm. the worst thing you've ever done? Yeah. <laughs> U.S. government. It Blast, is. There you go. Blasted a nuke at a poor, unsuspecting black nine-year-old. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
At least four lawsuits were filed against Dr. Sanger, his colleagues and the university. One lawsuit we know was settled in 1999 for three point six million dollars. It's not like he privately paid that. That's like the University of Cincinnati fucking paid that. For his part, Dr. Sanger went on to have a career full of accolades and honors. Mm -hmm. In 1978, the university named the Radioisotope Laboratory in his honor. Jesus Christ. He was awarded a gold medal for his career achievements by the American College of Radiology. He continued to be an expert on radiation exposure and even advised the American government on its response to the Chernobyl meltdown. Hmm. These horrific experiments in which dozens of innocent people died seem to be no more than a footnote in his obituary. And if you read some of the articles about his death, it they sound like fucking PR right. statements. They sound Promos like they were like put out by a publicist. Oh, Ugh. that's sick. That is yeah. so fucking gross. Dr. Sanger died in 2007 of bladder cancer. Oh, he should have oh, tried whole yeah. body radiation therapy. I know. Weird that he didn't There's try it. There's this new treatment. Yeah. D- did that not, might work really well for you, didn't sir. Didn't want a dose of his own medicine. Was Mm-mm. he like 120 years old when he died? No. If he, he died in 2007 and he was born in 1917, then he was like, what, 80, 90? Not even 90? I don't know. I can't do math. I can't do that math. That math should be easy, and yet it is not. He was younger than Helen, a lot younger than Helen. Well, he he died younger than Helen for sure. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna not not me googling 2007 minus 1917. <laughs> Eight, 90, 90, 90. 90. <laughs> 80. <laughs> Integrated math, you guys. I wow. knew it was so gonna early. be an even. It's early. Yeah, yeah, because they both <laughs> end in seven. seven. So it had to be because they both because you know, they both they both ended, ended seven. seven. So it had to be an even. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you you got it. you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh okay. Last little bit, and I will. I didn't have time, but I will upload photos to the drive in a second. But part of that lawsuit that was settled with the families in 1999 said that there has to be a memorial plaque listing the names of the victims at the University of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. like on their campus. Mm-hmm. So they created a plaque, but then they, there was so, they're like, it's behind these giant bushes. It's it's essentially hidden. Yeah. It's like geocaching to fucking it's, find it. Who is still defending this shit? Well, the uh, University of Cincinnati doesn't want, it's bad for their reputation. So they're right. going to minimize it. So they're like, sure. Okay. We'll make a plaque. They made a plaque. They, they hid it behind these massive bushes. Mm-hmm. When journalists called it out, they did go and cut down the bushes that day. So like within hours of getting called out, they like cut down the bushes and redid the landscaping. It's the most juvenile fucking bullshit. We made your plaque. We made what you else black. do you oh, want? Oh, okay. I guess we'll trim some fucking bushes. Jesus. Oh, you wanted us to make it displayable? Well, you didn't You it? didn't make that clear, that you wanted people to be able to see it oh, all the time. Right. God. So You should have been more clear. So they cut down the bushes. They redid the landscaping. They're like, see, we did it, whatever. The plaque is still facing the wrong way. Shut the fuck it's up. It's like so close to a building, and it's facing the building. Oh, not my like God. sidewalk. Cool. That, uh, yep. Cool. That's bad Great. for their reputation. So that's my case. 
Cool. <laughs> University of Cincinnati. Cool. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I hope someone listening goes to that school and makes a fucking makes fuss a about ruckus. it. Makes yeah. yeah. I mean, we could also make a fuss Make them move it. the fucking plaque. Mm-hmm. Get a shovel yeah. and move it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would be. I mean, we can plaque we, to University of Cincinnati radiation victims here. Here, yeah, with a giant yellow arrow. I mean, we can make a fuss, but it would come a long way coming from alumni or students. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, write write some strongly worded fucking emails about that bullshit. Someone who writes for their student newspaper. Yes, mm-hmm. that's yeah. Get the press. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm wow. gonna wait. I just want you guys to see. So you see the side by side where it says UC radiation tests. Look at those bushes. Oh, for God's sake. It was behind those, those bushes. giant bushes. Yeah, that's my God. Absurd. Yeah. OK, so, yeah, it's on. It's like on the ground in this little garden. And I see what you're saying. It's facing the wrong way. It's not facing out toward the grass. It's facing the building behind it. It's in yeah. a corner. Yeah, it's in a it's hidden it's in a per- tiny corner and it, the names are tiny it's a tiny plaque mm-hmm. and yeah it's so close to the building it's like there could be a bench like you'd have to Mm-mm. be the window washers could see it yeah yeah no That's one else pathetic wow hmm. yeah okay wow well done yeah great cool that love this day was wild i had not heard of that before which is also intentional mm-hmm. to not teach that kind of shit but Fucking damn. All right. Well, should we hear a word from our sponsor? Yes, please. Total landscaping. Four seasons total landscaping. I wish. I need some flowers. More flowers. Okay. So I have the fan picker case this week. This is incredibly famous, but really only within like the last five to ten years. I'm really excited to learn about it because I haven't read the book yet and I've always wanted to. It's supposed to be extremely good, and I I think there maybe was a movie based There's on the a book movie about it that HBO did with like Oprah, mm. but I I haven't seen it, so I'll have to watch that. And I'm definitely curious about reading the book as well. And I'd say within like the last five years, for sure, she's become like a household name, mm-hmm. which is sad in and of itself. That only recently mm-hmm. we like know who this woman is, so. Henrietta Lacks was born Loretta Pleasant, and we're not exactly sure why, but her nickname was like Henny slash Henrietta, and uh, her last name was Pleasant, but her mother's maiden name is Lacks, and she ended up taking that name Lacks, so we'll get to that. But she was born to her parents, Eliza and Johnny Pleasant, on August 1st, 2020, so to put that in perspective, sorry, 1920, oh my god, so to put that in perspective, She's younger than, three years younger than Helen. (laughs) Oh my God. When she was born. So like, and this all connects to medical racism, racism in general. It's just very much alive and well. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks like to say, oh, that was a long time ago. But like, no. No, Your grandma, she's younger than your grandma. She's younger than my grandma. Mm -hmm. So uh, Henrietta was- But it's saying something. Right. But it's saying (laughs) something. I had a lot of years with my grandma, you know? Too many. So she was a bit of a fashion icon. She was never seen without her signature red nail polish. Ah! Yep. She was always dressed to the nine. She was very meticulous about like pressing the pleats in her skirts, which I love. Oh, 
From nature.com, quote, she loved to cook. Spaghetti was her favorite and she loved to dance, often with one of her five children in her arms. She was the emotional and psychological center of a home where the extended family gathered and where the door was always open to anyone in need. I can't imagine raising five kids and still oh. being pleasant. Yo, you just wait. <laughs> Fucking yikes. <laughs> Henrietta herself was one of 10 children and her mother tragically passed away during the birth of her 10th child. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So her dad, Johnny Pleasant, couldn't work and care for 10 kids by himself. So he had to make the heartbreaking decision to divide the children among family members to help raise them. Mm -hmm. So they all stayed within the family, but like he couldn't do it on his own. I mean, fair. Super fair. Henrietta went to live with her mother's parents, so her maternal grandparents, and was given her mother's maiden name of Lax. So that's why she's Henrietta Lax. She was raised in a small cabin that had been her grandparents' quarters when they were enslaved. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. On the very plantation that her great-grandfather, who was white, had owned. So I think you know what the implication there and the reality there. Yikes. Henrietta is now being raised by her grandparents who are still living in the slave quarters that the generation before them was enslaved and assaulted in by the white man who owned their family. That's and that's how really fucking heavy. That's how whiteness is in her family as well. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. So while this family was now paid like a pittance, but enough mm -hmm. not to be considered enslaved, they all continued to work on the plantation farming tobacco because there were not places for them to go to gain employment. Yeah, they'd been given no education. Their parents exactly. were enslaved. Mm -hmm. Correct. So Henrietta started tobacco farming at about eight years old. Again, she's three years younger than my grandmother, alongside her cousins, who she also lived with in the cabin. To get her education, she had to walk two miles to the nearest black school, but dropped out by the sixth grade because she had to work to support her family. She gave birth to her first child, a baby boy named Lawrence, when she was only 14 years old. Oh, oh my God. I did not know any of this about her life. Yeah, she was a young mama and had a daughter, Elise, when she was 18. Elise was disabled, suffering from cerebral palsy, and I am not sure how long Elise lived. Mm -hmm. The father of these three children was actually her cousin, David, and they got married. They had grown up together in the cabin, formative years. Okay. Yeah, you know I mean, what? Honestly, that wasn't an assault. Like, that's like the least. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I, there's, nothing, mm -hmm. there's nothing in the story to... Or in my research, anyway. He wasn't and like, I haven't, much like read older the book. than her or anything. He wasn't much older than her. And I, I, I didn't see anything that alluded to assault. I think they just, you know, they're trauma bonded kids growing up together in small at quarters. a young age. And you can still marry your cousin in New Jersey. It's it is what it is. OK, they got married in 1941 and left the farm in Virginia to go live in one of the largest black communities in the United States, which at the time was in Baltimore, Maryland, where David took a job at Bethlehem Steel, which I'm pretty sure is where the character of Charles Minor, played by Idris Elba, had worked before he was hired by Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. And yes, I am on the spectrum. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Bethlehem Steel. Yep. Okay. I knew I knew that from somewhere. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Someone fact check it, but I'm 99% sure. I didn't look trust it up. You. Idris Elba Bethlehem Steel. Charles Minor. Charles Minor. Bethlehem Steel. Find me. If I could spell the Bethlehem, I'd be set. <laughs> <laughs> Let's 
Any any luck? It's going to take not. me a second. Just assume I'm right. Okay. So the couple had three more children, David Jr., Deborah, and Joseph. And Henrietta experienced severe hemorrhaging during Joseph's birth. And about five months after the birth of Joseph, her fifth and final child, Henrietta noticed a painful knot like in her pelvis. Mm. And at first she was like, am I pregnant again? Like It's a fibroid. She'd been suffering for a few months. And she and her family believed her to be pregnant again, but she was not experiencing like the typical symptoms of pregnancy and like she's had five she kids. She knows. She said she knows. So she went to be seen at one of the only hospitals in the state who would see black patients, which was Johns Hopkins. And this was in 1951. Yep. Many of our parents were alive at this time. Like our listeners' parents were alive in 1951. Mm-hmm. Segregation was soups not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So the doctor she saw found a mass on her cervix that was the cause of her pain. God, so painful. They, yeah. They took a biopsy of the mass and discovered that it was malignant and Henrietta had cervical cancer. The cancer treatments of the time were not quite as advanced as they are now and medical racism was very much thriving and still is today. She was treated with the insertion of radium tubes, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a form of radiation treatment where sealed radioactive material is placed as close to the cancer as possible. Because whole body radiation is really fucking bad for you and they already knew that in 1951. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally put tubes of radium up her hoo-ha okay. to try and reduce the size of the yeah. radiation tumor tampons. so then it could be yeah operated on essentially. Great. They did this for about three days and then released her and told her to come back in like two weeks for a follow-up to see if there had been a significant reduction in the tumor. During follow-up, they took additional samples from her cervix without her consent or knowledge. She was just supposed to come back and see if the mass was smaller. They were intentionally harvesting both healthy tissue and cancerous tissue from Henrietta. Oh, my God. Without her knowing. Were they doing that to a lot of the black patients that they were seeing at that time, like at that hospital? They wanted I believe they, so. They wanted to just build up a database of healthy and cancerous tissues? I believe so because they this was They didn't know that at, there was anything special about no, her yet. Not yet. And I, this was at a time when like specifically cancer research was like, there was kind of a boom mm-hmm. in the 50s. And like, obviously the technology wasn't super great, but like they were absolutely collecting samples she's this she's not so i'm guessing they probably collected samples without the consent or knowledge of most of the Mm -hmm. patients that they saw absolutely and that was happening all over the country and there's like there's a case that gets referenced later on that kind of covers that but like yes they were absolutely taking samples without consent from patients that were of a marginalized group. At Johns Hopkins. And by taking samples, I'm guessing we mean cutting like biopsy samples. Bits of flesh. Biopsy, yes. Not just like a swab. Like this is pre-swab days. Correct. I think that they were telling her like this is part of your follow-up to check the tumor. But But what they were actually doing was taking not only known cancerous samples from her but also healthy sample tissue samples from her mm-hmm. for the use for the use of medical research mm-hmm. and she had no idea mm-hmm. that that was happening mm-hmm. so these samples were had handed over to johns hopkins cancer research teams and henrietta and her family never knew that 
she continued like they knew that they were looking at that it she as was part going of her to treatment. the doctor she didn't know Correct. that she was they didn't know they were handing study. over her flesh to a research group Ugh. so she continued to come in for treatment over the next several months but the cancer had metastasized throughout her body she was admitted to the hospital on august 8th 1951 for like basically end of life care like blood transfusions like they were trying but there was really nothing else they could do and they stayed she stayed in the hospital until her death on october 4th 1951 so that means she died i mean the radium tubes did not help because this we're talking about like a week basically well she no she went in in august and she died in october right i just meant but yeah she she i they may have done multiple rounds of radium tube treatment i didn't yeah go down that pathway because at the end of the day yeah she did not survive her cancer Mm -hmm. she was only 31 years old when she passed away and she was buried back in virginia in an unmarked grave in the family plot alongside her mother decades later a stone was erected at her gravesite that reads henrietta Lacks, august 1st 1920 to october 4th 1951 in loving memory of a phenomenal woman wife and mother who touched the lives of many god if only she knew here lies henrietta Lacks or gila her immortal cells will continue to help mankind forever eternal love and admiration from your family oh that's very sweet so henrietta's cells turned out to be miraculous The research team observed that the cancerous cells taken from her cervix reproduce at an unusually high rate, even for cancer. So that they like that meant they could speed up Mm -hmm. the like time it takes to see what treatments either work or Mm -hmm. don't work on these cells. They don't have to wait as long. And these cells could also be kept alive longer than any other samples, both the healthy and the cancer cancerous samples that they had ever previously taken so that allowed them more time to research and conduct tests on the cells because they were living longer in like a petri dish wow because her cells could divide multiple times in the lab without dying they were referred to as immortal cells they quickly realized they had something amazing so without consulting or even considering henrietta's family they stole more of her cells during her autopsy before she was laid to rest jesus christ yep The medical assistant who had harvested these cells from her used a labeling method that took the first two letters of the patient's first and last name to identify the samples. Thus, the immortal cells were named HeLa cells. I did learn that recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (gasps) It's so fucked up because like her family might have given consent if they had been informed and and asked. We'll kind of get to that, too. Like they don't not want ad- amazing advancements in medical technology right their their mom died of cancer i'm sure they want to assist cancer research but exactly. it should be their choice it, it should be their they should be informed at all so yeah hela cells are a miracle of modern medicine they've been used to develop such medical advances as the polio vaccine and a million other things which we'll get to a smattering of them While this was never once attributed to Henrietta, the cells were also used unethically, injecting them into cancer patients of color, inmates of color, and even healthy folks just to see if cancer could spread, uh, be spread or eradicated with the cells. Great. So by 1955, Johns Hopkins was able to successfully clone HeLa cells, the first ever successfully cloned human cells. They were mass produced and shipped all over the world for medical research, treatment, 
of cancer, AIDS, gene mapping, even to be used to test the effects of radiation and toxic chemicals, sensitivities to certain adhesives, glue, cosmetics, etc. So her, they were, her cells are like the reason why we've been able to study we have like every, everything. Yeah, modern and they're medicine. not, and it's not just medical study; it's also commercial use that her cells have been used for. So that's like a big part of the problem is that the Lax family was never compensated for the massive amounts of money that were made because of her cells being used to test, like, Everything. cosmetics and glue and, like, scotch tape. Wow. Like, even if they can't, don't have a case to get money for, like, medical advancement because that's not, quote-unquote, for-profit, even though it yeah. absolutely totally is, but that's, like, their excuse, she still should have been her her fucking family should have received compensation for the commercial use of her cells for sure at the minimum i mean other companies were mass producing and selling her cells so companies were profiting from these cells it just wasn't the fucking owners of the cells exactly so this is a little excerpt from the immortal life of henrietta Lacks by rebecca sklut Quote, her cells were part of research into the genes that cause cancer and those that suppress it. They helped develop drugs for treating herpes, leukemia, influenza, hemophilia, and Parkinson's disease. They've been used to study lactose digestion, sexually transmitted diseases, appendicitis, human longevity, just like lifespan in general, mosquito mating, and negative cellular effects of working in sewers. Oh, They're used for like fucking everything. Yeah, that's a gamut. Yeah. That's a gamut They're, right there. That's a yeah. big, that's the, the that's queen's gamut. gamut right there. <laughs> that right there. Yeah. That's a gamut. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been smoking and driving. <laughs> their chromosomes and proteins have been studied with such detail and precision that scientists know their every quirk. Like guinea pigs and mice, Henrietta's cells have become the standard laboratory workhorse. By the 1950s or mid 1950s, there were about 11,000 patents involving HeLa cells. And still Henrietta's family had no idea they were using her genetic material and were never asked or even told anything about this. Right. So 11,000 other people and companies are fine to profit off of the cells. Yeah. Can you imagine 11,000 patents? Active patents in like 1955. That's that's like more than I thought were patents in the Mm -hmm. 50s. (laughs) Yeah. So the family has no idea that is until the 70s when advancements in genetics and gene mapping made the medical industry hungry for more cells connected to Henrietta's bloodline. Oh, let's go back to the well. Let's get more. Don't dig her up. No, that's not what they did. Oh, members of her family started being solicited for their blood to learn more about their genetics and what made these cells so miraculous. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? They had no idea. The family is now inundated with like letters and phone calls, is confused as fuck as to why doctors are suddenly coming out of the woodwork to get their grubby paws on their blood. Ew, that is so fucking gross. And like... They're still not being told why. Or like, Wouldn't you it feel, isn't until... Well, like, put yourself in their shoes. Like, what the fuck do you think their theories were, like, around the dinner table? Like, what? I, Have you gotten this weird blood request letter? Is yeah, this I'd a be scam? so confused. Weird. 
Like we're it, a poor black family. Is someone trying family. to get in touch with me to discuss my auto insurance? <laughs> right. They'd have no reason to connect this no. to Henrietta either. No. Who is like buried? She's been she's been gone now for twenty years. By, twenty years by the time they actually, well, twenty four years by the time they actually figure out what the fuck they want this blood for. And th- this is just like a poor black family. They they they're not. They're like, why would anyone want my blood? Want my blood? Like, what the fuck? Suspicious. So creepy. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> I would be like, we're moving. I we're changing our names. The paranoia. Like, I don't know what the fuck this is. This shit's about. But like, people are I'm probably out. showing up at their house. Like, I mean, probably. I would have recycled the fuck out of those letters, not knowing what the fuck was going on. Yeah, I, I'd be Jump. like, well, not Jump. I, Yeah. <laughs> These look Not like bills. Up. I don't like it. Jump. Uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't until 1975, so 24 years after Henrietta's passing, that they would come to discover her cells had been used for medical research for decades. And they were basically told by accident by some like rando at a cocktail party. Like what? a member of the Lax family <laughs> was at like a dinner party. And like a friend of a friend of a friend who was like maybe a doctor. I don't even know. I couldn't get like all the details on this. It was just like they literally found out from a stranger at a dinner party. Oh, flax. Like Gila. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Literally. You got good blood. Yeah. <laughs> Not only had Henrietta Sells been used for medical and commercial purposes without her or her family's consent, but family medical records were also published without their consent in the 80s. Whoa. Publicly. Like, not just her medical records, but their medical records, too. Correct. Oh Other members of their family. God. fucking shit. But there was fuck all that could be done about much of this because the Supreme Court had ruled in a different case, but with a lot of crossover in 1990, that, quote, a person's discarded tissue and cells are not their property and can be commercialized. When is it discarded? When they fucking biopsy gun your hoo-ha? Without your consent at a medical appointment? Exactly. Like a person's, quote, discarded tissue. That could be... A body buried in a graveyard? A body in the morgue is discarded tissue? It's so intentionally vague. Because, yeah, discarded tissue could be, oh, you had a tumor removed. Why do we even need consent for organ donation then? Exactly. You're dead. You weren't using it anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so fucked up. So that's that has since changed. Mm. But like that, they upheld that in 1990. Oh, don't even shit. get me started on the fucking Supreme Court. I can't. Yeah, it, I don't have thing. enough rage today. No, we don't have it. We don't have it. So from nature.com, quote, but the story of Henrietta Lacks also illustrates the racial inequities that are embodied in the U.S. research and healthcare systems. Lax was a black woman. The hospital where her cells were collected was one of only a few that provided medical care to black people. None of the biotechnology or other companies that profited from her cells passed any money back to her family. And for decades after her death, doctors and scientists repeatedly failed to ask her family for consent as they revealed Lax's name publicly, gave her medical records to the media, and even published her cells genome online. Oh, my God. In parentheses, it says, following an outcry, the genome was soon removed. That would have been in, like, the late 90s. 
Nature later published the genome of another Gila line after the Lacks family reached an agreement with the U.S. National Institutes of Health to approve its release. Mm -hmm. And like, again, don't get this wrong. The Lacks family does not like want to shut down medical research Mm -hmm. and advancement made via Gila cells. Mm -hmm. They simply want their loved one and her family to be respected and honored for, for her contribution. Her cells are as ubiquitous as like, a microscope like that is how in the scientific community absolutely like that is how essential and useful this is yeah she's arguably saved the lives of like millions and millions of people Mm -hmm. it's literally on her back that yeah all of our medical advancements rest essentially that we have like a fuck ton of medicines and that like your lipstick isn't making your lips melt off like you have Henrietta to fucking lips Right, oh, which rap, that would be great, but still. Amanda's like, where do I get that lipstick? Yeah, where do I get more that lipstick? lip? I need more lip. <laughs> Give me more, Bobby. Quote, I want scientists to acknowledge that HeLa cells came from an African-American woman who was flesh and blood, who had a family and who had a story. And that's a quote from her granddaughter, Jerry Lacks Y to Nature Magazine. So from LiveScience.com, quote, the family of Henrietta Lacks, a black woman whose cervical cancer cells were taken without consent in 1951, cloned and widely used for medical research, has sued the biotechnology company Thermo Fisher Scientific, which is only like one of so many places that are using the cells, arguing that the company derived profits from the cell line long after its unethical origins became publicly known. This lawsuit is still ongoing. I think they're working with attorney Ben Crump on this lawsuit and the thermo fisher scientific company is like doing whatever it can to have this dismissed it's like gone before judges multiple times amendments have been made but it's still an ongoing lawsuit there is not a resolution yet again you can't think that the family is like money grubbing or whatever when all of these fucking businesses corporations have made billions of dollars with shareholders are profiting off of this correct correct and while there are certainly lots of ceremonial recognitions of henrietta Lacks after Lacks facing the wrong way behind some bushes pretty much i mean like the equivalent of that plenty After the ethics outcry in the last 10 years, many feel that the entire medical community owes the Lax family reparations, and I can't say I disagree. Mm -hmm. As far as we know, the family has not received any financial compensation for the commercialization of Henrietta's cells other than one private contribution, so not even from, like, a group that necessarily was using the cells. The Howard Hughes Medical Institute made an undisclosed like contribution to the Lacks family or the Lacks Henrietta Lacks Foundation as a form of reparations, and the exact amount is unknown. So like I didn't know that they still like this this wrong still hasn't been righted. righted. Nope. HeLa cells are still used today and were instrumental in COVID-19 vaccine and treatment research. And I will close with one more quote from that Nature.com article, which was extremely good. It's linked in my sources. Quote, the fact that Lax's cells were taken in a different era of consent will never justify what happened. The past cannot be undone, but we must acknowledge the wrongs of previous generations and those wrongs that persist today. Justice must be done, and the time to start is now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's a fascinating and very fucking sad story, and it's still unresolved i need to read that book it's been on my list for a long time 
Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would also like to read it. So maybe we could book club yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Right, Gal's well, book club. I'm not sticking yeah, to that. I'm never going to commit to I, that. We've gotten no. lots of requests for that. And we also do not, not have that, that capacity. <laughs> but no. I could I could loosely commit to maybe reading one book around the same time that you read that one. Within a calendar year. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Let's make it two years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just to, we know ourselves. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, special thanks to our fan picker, Brianne. Yeah. Mangled. Mangled. My brain is mangled after that episode. Brand mangled. I'm fucking mangled. I need <laughs> so mangled. coffee and 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 that blue light gun from uh Men in Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the forget pen. The forget pen. <laughs> Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week. See you later. Mm, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!